The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to the program, everybody. You're watching Scorebox. Let's get into your headlines. U.S. President Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy appear to be uh, closing in on a deal ahead of a June 1st deadline. This as Joe Biden departs for the G7 summit in Hiroshima. Uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy telling CNBC the debt issue can no longer be ignored. How much is too much? You're sitting almost at a $32 trillion debt. You're going to pay more in interest in the next 10 years than you paid in the last 80 years. We can no longer ignore this problem. The optimism makes its way to Wall Street, where the Dow jumps over 400 points, while regional banks surge as Western Alliance reports strong deposit growth in the current quarter. Target shares rise after the retailer tops earnings expectations, but CEO Brian Cornell warns the company could take a $1 billion hit this year due to organized retail theft. Deutsche Bank agrees to pay $75 million to settle a lawsuit brought by victims of Jeffrey Epstein amid accusations that the German lender enabled their client sex trafficking, sources tell CNBC. And ladies and gentlemen, in the world of big numbers, I have the biggest numbers for you. Trust me, global debt has now surged by more than $8 trillion in the first three months of the year, approaching record levels as rising interest rates push up costs. The total global debt is now stabilized at around about 335% of GDP. So let's just go. Why your debt ceiling story is so exciting? What's that? The global debt story. Yes, it is. I know that yes, people go, oh, he's on it again. It's another yes. quarter. Sedgwick's on about global debt again. Yes. I've only been banging on about it for <laughs> 20 years. Yes. And it, it continues to go up. Do you know the, the total number now? I can't stop talking yeah. about it. Go on then. <laughs> $305 trillion. Oh, well, who cares? That's a, it's, a, it's compared with the GDP. That, that is 45 trillion dollars higher than we were before the pandemic aren't we meant to inflate our way out of the situation well, that's one way out that was meant to be the theory that you get you know what a little bit of inflation and suddenly those debt uh, piles start to dwindle it's, How it's, exactly it's one happens? of the historic ways out of it I don't know if it years, should, right? should we talk about the u.s debts first uh, let's get yeah. into it u.s president joe biden and house speaker kevin mccarthy appear to be closing in on a deal to avert a debt default after months-long uh, impasse, the two underscoring their determination to raise the debt ceiling, agreeing to negotiate directly with one another. The government could run out. Do you want to pick up? Yeah, the government could run out of money as I'm soon as June breath. 1st if they're unable to find a middle ground. McCarthy told CNBC the pair had, they have to find an agreement, McCarthy said. Look, we could be really sensible and responsible about this. Um, how much is too much? You're sitting almost at a $32 trillion debt. Your debt is now larger than your economy. You're going to pay more in interest in the next 10 years than you paid in the last 80 years. We can no longer ignore this problem. Uh, McCarthy also pinpointed where he saw the major issue. 
The real problem is what we are spending. Normally on a 50-year average, we spend about 21% of GDP. We're now over 23.6, on our way to 25%. So the problem is the spending level. And it's not just that the taxes are bringing in more money than anybody projected. The economy became stronger. We became more competitive. Companies came back to America instead of going to other countries. Despite the U.S. potentially running out of money within days, President Biden struck a confident tone. Faith, I'm confident that we'll get the agreement on the budget that America will not default. And uh, every leader in the room understands the consequences if we fail to pay our bills. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer met with senior executives from some of America's biggest banks to discuss the issue. Schumer urged the likes of J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon and City's Jane Fraser to put pressure on members of Congress, saying default should not be an option. Speaking after the meeting, Dimon told reporters the U.S. probably won't default. Meanwhile, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is due to meet with leaders from some of Wall Street's biggest banks today. Steve. Right, let's take a look at these US markets. Oh my goodness me, you got excited about the hopes for the debt ceiling as well. There are problems in these markets. We can come to a few of those throughout the next three hours, as ever we will. But look, great big rally again for the Nasdaq, which has had a great big rally already this year. I think we're up about 20% compared with the Nasdaq up about 9% for the year. So a massive outperform. Whatever you think of valuations, these are the raw numbers, and we have rallied hard on the Nasdaq. The Dow has potted around the flat line for the year so far, up 1.2% though in yesterday's session, 408 points uh, to the upside as well. Let's have a look at the regional banks. KBW rallied, wait for it, I think it was at 7.3%. It was a massive rally. And look at these. These are so volatile now. Is that good? I don't think so. You need more depth and breadth. I don't like to see these kind of numbers necessarily on banks. And the reason why is because it shows that the, the confidence in the sector is on a knife edge, a hair trigger, so to speak, as well. So it's all very well seeing the great big moves to the upside. But when you get the great big moves to the downside as well, then people start building up momentum. So I'd, I'd, I'd like to see more solid moves in banks, even if they, the ultimate destination uh, is much higher or much lower. But um, as you see, PacWest Corp, perhaps the most volatile around at the moment, up 21%. Have a look at the retailers. Now, I thought this was fascinating. Really, really fascinating. Look at this. Great. Home Depot's up 3.5%. Yeah, hey, Coles nearly 5% to the good. 2.6% on Target and Macy's up 5.7%. Target. Let's have a look at this one. Do you know what they actually said? Was we are really concerned about the US consumer right now. They, they beat expectations, but you know this old sketch. Let's mark it down, mark it down, mark it down. Oh, hey, miraculously we beat. But the fact of the matter is, if you look at what they're saying in their outlook about the US consumer, I don't think it made great reading. But hey, what the heck? Debt ceiling's going to be solved. So we're going to rally hard on this sector. Treasuries, 3.57% was the last I saw. And indeed, it's still there on the 10-year. But look at the two-year. 4.15. We were talking about a, what, 3.9 handle just a couple of days ago. And herein lies the problem. And, and people like Mohamed al and who's very eminent, has been talking about it. People like me, who's less eminent, have been talking about it. But the fact of the matter is, something is badly wrong here between what the market thinks is going on with interest rates and between what the Fed thinks is going on with interest rates. You can have a look at the dollar while I'm banging on, if you like, as well. My point here is... Uh, and this is, again, uh, El Arian uh, put out a tweet on this one. They're, the interest rates in the United States are what at the moment, ladies and gentlemen? They're five to five and a quarter percent, okay? That is where the Fed fund futures are. That's where the, the, the Federal Reserve interest rates are. 
The Fed is saying nothing about any cuts this year, nothing. And yet, according to the Fed Fund Futures, there's a 29% chance of them being as low as four and a quarter percent this year, huh? They're as high as five and a quarter moment. There's a 41% chance of them being as low as 4.5%, huh? We're, we're, we're five to five and a quarter. And there's a 21% chance of them being 475 to 5%. So who's wrong? I don't know the answer, but Elerian and others are saying, look, if, if either the Fed has got this badly wrong, in which case their credibility is going to be shot to pieces again, or there's going to be an intense period of market volatility as there is a reckoning between the difference of the two. Keep an eye on it. Someone's right, someone's wrong. It, it can't be both. It can't be both a 29% chance of being as low as five and a, four and a quarter percent and the Fed staying the course where they are at the moment. Someone is wrong and something needs to change. There is this great split and there, there's a, you can drive, as we say, a double-decker bus between these two views at the moment. Let's have a look at the energy space as well. Gold came off a little bit, less worries there. It hasn't got a two-handle at the moment. $1,978 a troy ounce. Really, oh my goodness me, I'm so fascinated by what's going on with these at the moment as well. We are juxtaposed. Do you know, I think, again, I talk about spreads. I'll give you the widespread. 81 bucks to the upside, uh, 70 bucks to the downside. Uh, and the point I'm making that is below 70, that's where it gets interesting on filling the SBR on WTI. But then moving to Brent as well at $81 as well. Well, I saw a very interesting piece of copy that said at 81 bucks, the, the uh, Saudis are still, I'm afraid, under enormous budgetary pressure and also are, are seeing big declines in their Forex reserves as well. And we saw from Siluanov, the finance minister who we used to speak to, Jeff and I used to speak to him all the time in Russia. We don't speak to him anymore because he's on the other side divide. I mean, we don't get to speak to these people anymore because of the war, because of the Russian war uh, of aggression in Ukraine as well. But the fact of the matter of Siluanov submitting, yeah, we've got problems on our revenues compared with last year, massive declines as well. So very interesting that we are trading aggressively. And I know I'm taking two different products here, between 70, 71 on the downside there uh, and 77, 80 on the upside for Brent as well. Very interesting trading markets. Asian indices look thus. Oh, we're so relieved, debt ceiling, so relieved as well. But as I was alluding to uh, with Target as well, yeah, the shares are rallying, but if you read the statement, mm. oh, I didn't think it was that good. Are you all right? How are you feeling? Um, okay. Yeah, you're yeah. throws a, little, a bit. A little bit croaky. It happens to all of us. Um, Target shares then rising over 2% after the US retailer beat on the top and the bottom line in the first quarter and backed its full year outlook. The big box retailer issuing lower than expected guidance for second quarter sales with Target executives telling reporters that inflation is weighing on the consumer. The CEO, Brian Cornell, also warned that organised retail crime will see inventory losses increase by $500 million to surpass $1 billion this year. Target's results come hot on the heels of weak numbers from Home Depot, with the home improvement retailer posting its worst revenue miss in 20 years. Walmart is due to report today before the US market opens with investors keen to see whether the retailers' core businesses have managed to hold up amid a challenging environment. Paul Allison joins us, senior analyst at Finamize. Paul, good morning to you. Just give us uh, your thoughts on what we've seen so far from these companies that have reported and perhaps give us a bit of a preview on what we might get from Walmart. Good morning. Thanks for having, him, having me on. I think message from the results from Target and Home Depot this week is really a mixed bag. On the one hand, as you say, Target produced better than expected results yesterday, but the day before Home Depot came in with quite significantly worse than expected results, actually. Um, and I think what it shows is that the consumer environment is still really challenging and 
these big box retailers in the States are going to have a difficult time navigating all the different crosswinds um, that exist right now. Uh, Paul, let me pick up here, actually. In terms of this disparity I, 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 I talked about, and yes, I'm dramatic about it, but I'm trying to make this interesting for our viewers as well, uh, between what the market is saying uh, and what the Federal Reserve is saying, how concerned should we be about the fact that we are now five and a bit months, well, we're in the fifth month of the year, uh, and the market seem to be in, I, I would call it la-la land, but we'll call it in, in, in optimism world, uh, and the Federal Reserve is a lot more cautious on rates. Does this mean anything to a lot of your estimates? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a fair point, and there's this kind of um, unstoppable force, if you like, meets the immovable object with the market and the Fed saying different things about interest rates. But I think if you take a step back and look at earnings overall, not just in consumer land, but generally across the piece, they've come in or, or look like they'll be coming in a roughly flat for the first quarter of this year. And if you think about where that pegs against expectations, not that long ago, the market was expecting earnings to be somewhere down around 10%. So generally speaking, corporate America has done a lot better than people had expected. So certainly some of the buoyancy in the US debt market is around those interest rate expectations. But let's not get away from the fact that earnings have been quite a bit better than expected. Paul, the target numbers were noisy yesterday, but in a very different fashion to what we've normally seen from noisy numbers. This in the sense that the inventory problems target was having it pinned on violent acts happening in its stores. And this is something that the industry body also picked up on, saying they've seen an increase in that. Some of the retailers not even operating in certain areas because they feel as though there is a risk to worker safety. How much of this did you digest as a, an industry-wide problem and something that is now significant for earnings versus just a target problem? Yeah, it's really interesting. It's, I mean, shrink as a problem for the industry is not new, but I think we've definitely seen an acceleration over the last couple of quarters and companies like Target are spending quite a bit of time on their earnings conference call talking about it. I think they said, as you said, 500 million this year, and that's going to weigh on gross margins going forward. I don't really know what to think about it, to be completely honest. They will have initiatives going on in the background. They'll certainly be lobbying um, various bodies and political bodies trying to get support to solve this problem. But it is definitely worth keeping an eye on. I mean, that 500 million is quite a jaw-dropping number when you consider the company generated roughly $3 billion in income last year, and it is definitely going to weigh on gross margins. And I think that's quite important for Target in particular, because whether Target can get back to the levels of profitability that it was enjoying before the pandemic is going to be a major thing for investors going forward. So certainly it's worth watching uh, over the next couple of quarters. Well, the reason I bring up the question around Target specifically is that there are other issues that have been reported. And one of them is a, a practice, a policy that Target has that you can return certain labels of clothing with a one-year guarantee. And you know, apparently there's a whole heap of videos posted on TikTok that parents are bringing back used clothing when the kids are grown out of them. Or if they're you know ruined, they're, they're bringing them back and they're just claiming money from Target. So one does make you think. Are the policies at Target wrong? Are the issues that they're facing on the macro side one thing? Is it also an execution error potentially that we're seeing from this one retailer at this point in time as well? Yeah, absolutely, Karen, I agree. I think that could probably be the case. And we will have to see what Walmart says today, whether they're experiencing um, shrink of a similar level to Target. 
But I think probably um, these kind of issues will likely affect the retailers that sell more general merchandise, more of those discretionary items, um, because that has really been where the problems have lied uh, across the retail spectrum, really last quarter and this quarter. And we saw it again yesterday, Target saying that they're struggling with those higher ticket items. And certainly that is unfortunately going to be um, the types of merchandise that attracts this unruly behavior and this um, quite shocking level of shrinkage that they're seeing right now. Paul, can we just talk a bit about inventory management at this stage and how well you think they're doing with stock? Uh, well, Target, actually, that was one of the bright spots from Target's numbers yesterday. They said the inventory was down 16% versus last year. And if you think about what's happened over the last 12 months, inventory has been a real problem. And it's really a bit of a hangover from um, the pandemic and the whole whipsaw effect of inventory where there was a supply shortage and then retailers built up inventory to try and catch up with demand. And then demand has slowed and a lot of retailers have been caught out with excess inventory. And it's been a bit of a slow process to try and get that inventory back under control. But one of the bright spots from Target yesterday was that inventory uh, management seems to be improving. The levels are coming down. We'll have to wait and see what Walmart says today. It will be interesting to see if they are making the similar type of progress with their inventory levels. But you're absolutely right. It's crucial for retailers that inventory is uh, brought under check because, of course, it's the worst nightmare for a retailer. Too much stock means markdowns and means massive hits to profit. Uh, Paul, thanks for your time this morning. Paul Allison, Senior Analyst at Finimize. Uh, still to come on the programme, Alibaba looks for a post-COVID pop with revenues expected to surge when it reports uh, fourth quarter numbers later today. We'll be live in Hong Kong with what to expect in just a moment. And for more on the US debt ceiling discussions as well as how the big retailers are holding up, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Tencent posted its fastest jump in quarterly revenue in more than a year as China reopened. Now, revenues at the Chinese tech giant jumped 11% in the first quarter amid a rebound in payment volumes, ad sales and gaming. The results mark a strong bounce back to growth after a succession of negative and flat quarters. Alibaba is expected to post a year-on-year jump in earnings per share when it reports fourth quarter numbers before the bell. The Chinese e-commerce giant is expected to benefit further from the country's post-COVID reopening, but may take a hit from weaker consumer spending. Emily joins us with more. Morning, Emily. Just take us through the expectations. 
Uh, thanks a lot, Jeff. And we're seeing uh, the Hong Kong listed shares of Alibaba rally more than 3% ahead of the company's fiscal Q4 results. Analysts are forecasting earnings of $1.36 per share on sales of $30 billion, and that would mark another quarter of revenue contraction. Alibaba's core Chinese e-commerce business will be in focus as the largest contributor to its top line, but also a reflection of the strength of the consumer. This as recent retail sales data from China showing a weaker than expected domestic picture. The market is also waiting out on more details about Alibaba's planned six-way split, paving the way for separate businesses to go public. And as it moves from a conglomerate to a holding company, market chatter has that Chinyao Network Technology, and that is the logistics arm, said to be the most mature of the units to get spun off first. And of course, any word about Ant Group and whether it could revive its listing plans after that got pulled in 2020 at the last minute. We'll get numbers out from Alibaba Alibaba before the U.S. market open this evening, Hong Kong time. We got to Alibaba shares that traded up, currently speaking, up about 3%, uh, last done at $88. That's the latest from Hong Kong. Back to you. Um, Emily, just a quick one on uh, how the market views this business now as we anticipate the breakup and as we reflect on how the government in uh, China is now shifting on its uh, regulation of technology. Well, we're really hoping that, you know what, the worst is behind the company for Alibaba. Uh, the share price has really taken a hit compared uh, to the record high levels. At one point, it was traded above $300 per share. Uh, so it's really taken a knock. It's down about one-third compared to that, $88 last done. Uh, the company has paid the fines of uh, uh, that were leveled at it by the regulator. And uh, really, with this restructuring, it can mean uh, that the company is able to move forward you know, those anti-competitive uh, issues that the, uh, the regulators were having with Alibaba. Uh, there are six business lines that we're looking at, of course, and a Tainau Network Technologies of the logistics unit could be the first as what is being written in all the media that is the most in, ter- in terms of being mature and ready for a spinoff as yet. Uh, so we are going to be watching as that happens. Uh, the r- rumor is that it would be listed in Hong Kong, uh, but then some of the other business lines were indicated that they could be seeking a listing in the United States. Uh, so we will be watching out for that very, very closely. Uh, Alibaba is a big indicator of the strength of the uh, Chinese consumer. And as we've seen in retail sales data that just came out earlier in the week, that came in a weaker than expected. So uh, we'll get another glimpse of that and how strong that they are uh, when Alibaba reports its GMV, that would be the gross merchandise value. Uh, so Alibaba shares and uh, the earnings. Uh, we're going to be watching that coming through a little bit later this evening before 9 p.m. Hong Kong time, of course, before the U.S. market opens. Jeff. Emily, I want to pick up and ask you about positioning and trading around the stock because the big shorts, uh, Michael Burry, has a big long on China Tech, in particular two names, one of them being Alibaba. What are the perceptions then to see someone who's uh, traditionally known for being short certain names actually load up? But what is that sending in terms of a message to the sector? 
Well, this is interesting because with this, we are watching as uh, the likes of SoftBank has a, you know, pretty much a sold out of Alibaba. Of course, this is an investment that they went into back in 2000, and they've, of course, pocketed uh, hundreds of millions of dollars on this investment. Uh, but as we are watching uh, big names like uh, Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway uh, scale back on their geopolitical exposure, uh, we had heard, of course, from SoftBank that they were going to be uh, pulling back from the Alibaba investment. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. We were talking to analysts earlier this morning about the exposure to China tech, and the focus is on artificial intelligence and where they stand with that. With the various different Chinese tech companies, of course, we heard from Baidu, and they have their Ernie bot. Uh, they are a search engine. Alibaba is an e-commerce platform. Then there's Tencent, and they are a social media gaming platform. So it'll be interesting to see how each of these uh, business models, these companies, uh, all, although they are all China tech, they all do very different things, how they're able to incorporate the artificial intelligence into their uh, business lines and uh, whether or not investors will be, of course, keen to pick that up and pick up their shares. You can see Tencent today. Uh, the earnings uh, were not up to snuff. It did not meet expectations. So we got a large pullback in Tencent shares, even though revenues grew by the most in a year, about 11 percent. Tencent shares getting punished today, down 1.5%. Baidu, on the other hand, is extending gains. Uh, we're looking at a Baidu shares today trade stronger. We're looking at 1.5% rally extending on from yesterday on the back of the company's report card. And, of course, those uh, growth prospects and all uh, counting on AI and how that's going to be delivering for these Chinese companies. So I think it's a little bit of a unique uh, specifics for each company. Uh, but uh, as for now... As we watch Alibaba into the earnings, and we're going to be getting that in a number of hours, Alibaba shares rallying pretty hard today, up about 3%. Karen. Emily, thank you very much for running us through all the details there. Much appreciated. Well, Cisco shares fell in extended trade after the company reported a huge backlog of products in the third quarter. The tech giant posted a 23% decline in orders and said demand had been hit by supply chain challenges. Cisco beat expectations for its third quarter earnings, posting over $14.5 billion in revenue. The CEO, Chuck Robbins, told our U.S. colleagues that the company is working to clear the backlog. We're going to end the year with a backlog that's still double what we would normally have at the end of any given year. We have $32 billion in RPO. We have $24 billion in ARR. And so we have a reasonable amount of visibility to, uh, to the next 12 to 15 months. And so it's, um, it's something that we're working through, but it's reflective of the customer's desire for our technology. I'll tell you what, all of us around this desk are fascinated. I haven't even read this read yet, but I'm fascinated to see what they say on AWS because just the context, ladies and gentlemen, Amazon, the driver, the secret driver was never really about the marketplace. It was about the, the gubbins, the, the, the technology beneath the bonnet, which is called AWS, Amazon Web Services. So what do they say? Well, they say they will invest $12.7 billion in India by 2030. How many times are we hearing big companies now Apple and the like looking at India. So the Amazon are going to invest $12.7 billion in India by 2030 as it looks to build its cloud infrastructure in the country. The unit CEO told the Times of India the country is a bright spot amid global uncertainty, describing it as an energized, 
high growth market. And I think there's got to be not only the economic angle, but also the geopolitical angle of why we're seeing such growth uh, in India. I'll move on. Micron, Samsung and TSMC have all signaled they will expand investments in Japan amid an industry realignment as tensions. Here we go again. Similar stories about the geopolitics as tensions brew between China and the West. Micron put a $3.7 billion figure on its investment plans, including Japanese subsidiaries. Uh, subsidies, a big problem. Uh, whilst the Japanese economy minister says Samsung plans to invest in a new research and development center there, Karen. Montana has become the first U.S. state to ban TikTok outright. Under the law, which will come into effect next year, TikTok will be banned from operating in the state and app stores will also be forbidden from making it available to download at the risk of a penalty of $10,000 a day. The move has provoked criticism from free speech advocates and any legal challenge could trigger a delay in its implementation. But no doubt, certainly putting this on the ticket as a potential issue more broadly across the country as to what sort of access should be allowed around TikTok. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.